We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another As It Was, When It Was special uh, with your host, Mark Corby. Uh, delighted to be joined yet again by Norman Riley. Riley, how are you doing, mate? Very well, mate. How are you? I'm not too bad, Norman, mate. I'm not too bad. These weeks are absolutely flying by. Um, and we're still we're still waiting for <laughs> a takeover to happen or not happen. And we're still waiting for Premier League football to return or not return. Um, everything's in limbo, mate. But what's not in limbo is the past. <laughs> so further on from our last uh, podcast, uh, which discussed the, we'll say the more controversial moments of Kevin Keegan's time as a manager. Um we're going to continue sort of, you know, the, the, that period in time. We're going to discuss Kenny Daglish. The reason we're discussing Kenny Daglish is because, for me, um, I think he's, he's a little bit like Marmite. I think people do either love his period here or they hate him because of what he did to Kevin Keegan's squad. Um, and it's something I think me and yourself have wanted to get with teeth into for a while and just bounce a few ideas off each other. And see who's right, who's wrong, or whether it's just a, you know, a combination of both. Um, so, the whole process about the podcast is, is going to be based on Kenny Daglish. Did he do a good job under the limitations of the PLC, and should we celebrate him more than we do for Champions League qualification, for the FA Cup run, for that superb victory over Barcelona, or? Do we simply look at Kenny Daglish's time at Newcastle as a case of ripping apart all the hard work Kevin Keegan done? Jury's out there, and obviously we're hoping that we can uh, you know, try and discuss it between us. So, going back to the start. Um, Kevin Keegan walked, and there was rumours, as we mentioned on the last podcast, uh, Bobby Robson was number one, number one choice. Um, I have read that Johan Cruyff was also heavily linked with the job. I can't really recall that at the time, but books and articles out there suggest that he was. And then there was also Kenny Daglish who we ended up getting. Now, remind us, Norman, why why should we have went for Bobby Robson? Well, I mean, obviously Robson was coming towards the end of his career, wasn't he? Yeah. In the sense that you know, he was, um, by this point, he would have been, what, 62, maybe? Um, yeah, right, yeah. Um, and his career had been, obviously, littered with success. I mean, you know, you look at the the job that he did at Ipswich before he got the uh, the England job. 
Um, with hindsight, the job that he did with England was absolutely fantastic as well. Um, he'd had a trophy-laden um, sort of, what, eight, nine years in Europe with um, PSV, Sporting Lisbon, Porto. And he was doing, you know, he was doing a really good job at um, Barcelona as well, but he'd obviously been shunted upstairs um, for Louis van Gaal, hadn't he? And I think it was probably the right time for him to kind of come into a, into a you know, the, the, the sort of last lap of his career. And obviously Newcastle would have been nagging fit. And obviously, as we know, as a transpired, that was that was the case. Um, but I think Robson, he, had he committed to another year um, with the club that he was at at the time? And that's why he didn't come to Newcastle? Um, I believe you'd give... Um... Them the word, hadn't he? He didn't want to, didn't want to leave. That's right. The word, and he, he didn't want to, He wanted to honour the contract, even though he really wanted to come. He wanted to come to Newcastle. He wanted to. Um, he wanted to honour the contract. Now, am I not mistaken? At the same time, wasn't Cruyff manager and at Barca at that at that particular point, or am I just forgetting the past? I thought it was. Um, I thought Robson had obviously had the the Barca job ninety six ninety seven, and then I think was Van Gaal possibly um, working as his assistant maybe, and um, and then Robson was shifted upstairs to the general manager position, um, and he then went. So ninety seven ninety eight he, he was general manager, and then ninety eight ninety nine. He went to manage PSV um, on a short-term deal. But I right. think his contract at Barcelona, if I remember correctly, was two years. As I say, one season as manager and the other season as, as general manager with, with Van Gaal taking over. And I think he did honor, he did want to honour his contract and leave at the end of 98. And, and it's quite possible that he'd also, by that point, agreed to go back to PSV. Um, so he may well have given them his word already. Um, so that it was that there was definitely something contractual with him Obviously, not coming to Newcastle, and you know you, you you do see a few people in the game who who once they've given their word to a club will actually honour it. And and clearly, Robson, if you look at his career, um, he was very much old school kind of man of his word. So unfortunately, he didn't take over when when perhaps we would have liked to have seen it. And obviously, it was in a case of looking down the list, wasn't it? Well, well, well this is it. And obviously, at the time, Johan Cruyff just just briefly. Looked that up there just so I'm not losing my marbles. Cruyff was actually out of work. Um, but I suppose were the board looking at Cruyff because he was available, and perhaps you know, with the, the sort of the glamour and the history that comes with Johan Cruyff, perhaps they were looking at it a little bit um from a sort of a sentimental point of view and trying to get someone who was gonna appease the supporters, um, simply because we had lost Kevin Keegan. Um that didn't didn't work out for whatever reason. Perhaps that's another <laughs> Podcast for another day, failed managerial appointments. But ah, you see, so I didn't, I wasn't aware. I thought, I thought that the number one target was Robson. I hadn't realised that Cruyff was so, um, so coveted. Yeah, he, he, I think it was because he was available. Um, and yeah, and, but it obviously didn't work out. And we end up getting, we end up getting Kenny Daglish. Now, you know, I've got my own thoughts on Daglish. You have, I've had, I've had words with uh, ex-players, Robbie Elliott in particular, about, about uh, Kenny Daglish. And we, we've agreed to disagree. We'll come to that later. But at the time, I remember thinking, OK, Kenny Daglish, massively successful at Liverpool as a manager. 
won the championship at, uh, at Blackburn, obviously Scotland promoted, and the, in the one that we put in, I think it was within two years, and then he became a director of football. And then he got the job at Newcastle. Now, at the time, from a personal point of view, I was excited. I thought, right, this is sort of, you know, Kevin Keegan's left, we're devastated. But I was excited because I knew Daglish was a winner. Um, you know, I, I looked at him as he'll be the man who will get upset silverware. Um, what, what, what were your thoughts at the time, Norman? How, how did you feel about Kenny Daglish coming in based on what he had done in the past? And also, obviously, trying to lift spirits because, obviously, Kevin Keegan had gone. Very similar thoughts to yours. Um, I remember uh, discussing it with mates and um, we more or less were all of the opinion that the attacking flair that Keegan had given us, despite the fact that, as me and you have you know, documented on numerous occasions, defensively, Newcastle weren't a bad side at all under Keegan. But I think we just looked at it like, we'll get the the attacking player still, because, you know, you look at his side at Blackburn, you had, um, obviously, Sutton, Shearer, Ripley and Wilcox, that that kind of, that those four attacking banged in a load of goals at Blackburn, and obviously, you look at his previous Liverpool sides as well, none of them struggled to score. So I think at this point, I don't think anyone um, was under the impression that Dalgish was a necessarily negative manager, but what he also had done was, he'd also created really solid defences. You know, you look at that Liverpool defence that he had, and obviously, we know that, you know, Bob Paisley and Joe Fagan brought a lot of the players in who played at the back for Liverpool, but still, you know, Dalglish had, he was coaching players like Alan Hansen, um, they had uh, Gary Gillespie, obviously, Mark Lawrence, I guess, was coming towards the end of his career, but, and then he went, he went to Blackburn, you know, you had um, Colin Henry at the back, who was a solid, a very solid player, and a player that you, um, you thought that we might have gone out and bought, um, yeah. you know, to, to kind of give us more of a, a spine and a, a bit more of a tilt at the tight end, and I think we thought that, obviously, Look at how Dalglish has set his teams up, especially at Blackburn in that tight winning season. And he'll give us that that organisation and that steel that maybe, just maybe, we didn't have under Keegan, I guess. It's bringing that in, that, that, that steely resolve in. Um, and I think I, our, our general consensus was uh, really excited. And I, and I thought, on a personal level, I thought Dalglish would be the man to take us to the league title. Okay. Well, from, from you know, the, the, the highlights of. Um... 5-0 win over Man United reform dipped appallingly, to be honest, from top of the league to as low as sixth um, on Boxing Day. And before Keegan's last two games in the league, which was Tottenham 7-1 and Leeds 3-0, we had, hadn't won in the previous seven. So, amazing drop in form. Um, you know, we, we sort of touched on it last, last uh, podcast regarding Keegan. H- had he taken that team too far? Um, you know, had, had, was he starting to lose the dressing room? What was was a change necessary um, from a football perspective? I know we we agreed about Keegan that we we believe he was wrong to leave, but from a football club point of view, they, they made it clear that they weren't going to back him anymore because he hadn't um, got the silverware. And it was a case of look, we've back you. I think it was up around about sixty million at that point after Shearer signing, uh, which is nothing now, of course, but it was extortionate back then. And maybe the board had thought, you know what, we, we, we do need a change, and maybe Kevin has taken them as far as he could go. Um, but yeah, regarding Daglish, you know, he, he came in obviously when we, we knew he, he had that, you know, that same tactics out and where it was defence minded. Um, <laughs> but it, it didn't really get off to a good start, though, did it? Because if you, if you look at it 
we, we crashed out of the uh, the FA Cup, didn't we? To um, Forest. Not, yeah, not the Forest moment. I remember that the team got booed off then. Um, I think I think the whole support was probably flattened a little bit by obviously Keegan leaving, the loss in form. Um, but then, then then things just slowly started turning around. Um, but one game I will remember, I was I was there that night. Was the second three four defeat ever played Anfield. Um, obviously went three 0 down at half time. Somehow clawed back to three three in the last minute, and then we got beaten injury time. But one thing what stuck out to me about that night is I don't know whether you recall the supporter running from the away end and throwing his shirt at Daglish in the dugout. I remember that. Yeah, I, I remember it. I mean, because that particular game. It was obviously nothing like the four three the season before. As you say, we yeah. went three 0 down and we were getting an absolute we were getting an absolute hiding. Um because up until that point, obviously, you know, we'd had those three really good results, um, Everton Leicester, which was a fantastic game, obviously, um, and uh in Middlesbrough, one uh, 0 win. And you know, we were moved up we moved up to third. And then we had that really disappointing defeat at home to Southampton. I think um, that was Graham Souness was in charge of Southampton at the time, I think. Um, right. And they were an awful team, though, right? They were struggling down at the bottom, obviously. The Tissier scored from 25 yards standard against Newcastle. But prior to the Liverpool match, we'd had that hugely disappointing um, defeat at home to Monaco in the UEFA Cup. Mm-hmm. And I thought that season, obviously, this was the quarterfinals of the UEFA Cup. I thought this was a trophy that we could win. And the kind of air was kind of sucked out of me. Um, after that defeat, I just thought we we're going to kind of pit around until the end of the season. And we started that game against Liverpool, which was only... It was on a Monday night, wasn't it? The Liverpool match, if I remember correctly, on TV. Um, and I just remember Liverpool absolutely tanking with um, McManaman running completely riot. And I remember the fan, I coming on the pitch with a Newcastle top and uh, thinking, God, this is just... This is really bad. Um, and then uh, th- this comeback started and it, it, was, it was absolutely incredible. Asprey as well was brilliant. And it got back to threes each. And I think... That half, you just saw this kind of fight in the team. And I thought, you know what? I, th- I think we'll be all right here. And obviously, Fowler goes and puts the, puts the ball in it to make it 4-3. But it, it didn't feel, obviously, anywhere near as devastating as the um, 4-3 yeah, defeat the season before. And then, you know, subsequently, you went out on the Saturday and absolutely spanked Coventry 4-0. Um, and I think, if I remember correctly, I think Asprey had an absolutely belting game that game. Um, and things that I thought... I thought things were coming together really nicely. I think well, it, was, it looked to me like we were starting to play football. We're still scoring goals, um, and I just thought, you know what, we could we could end the season on a on a bang. There's, there's something there, and and I think it, at that point I was very much kind of in the Dalish camp. And you know, given that he had to take over from Keegan, and we mentioned this on the last podcast we did, the the sheer size of the task, like how yeah. how to pick those players up after. Keegan going and you know all the players that were part of that squad Keegan signings players who absolutely loved him like Warren Barton Robert Lee uh, Les Ferdinand these are the players who subsequently come out the press and said you know Keegan made you feel as if you could you know you were, you were 20 foot tall and for that hugely devastating blow for players and I know they're professional but they're still human you know I thought actually Dalglish done was doing a very good job in a very short space of time at that, at that point well before we continue on from that Coventry game, which was memorable, obviously, for Tino, as you see, it was probably his best game, apart from the Barcelona game, which will come. But bear in mind, Southampton, his first league game, 2 0 up, through 2 2. Everton, beaten 4 1. Sounds amazing. We were 
awful that game. We were 1-0 down to a goal to Gary Speed for the majority of that game. Somehow we won it 4-1. God knows how. Leicester, 3-1 down, end up winning 4-3 in the last minute. No? Middlesbrough, bottom three most of the season. Great cup team. Scraped a 1-0 victory. Southampton, defeat at home, 1-0. Liverpool, 3-0 down. The, the, the lad ran on the pitch, threw his shirt at Dagbish, and we got beat in the last minute 4-3. You, you could say it was continuing on the bad form from Keegan, but ultimately it was a it was a bit of a bad start. And then when you factor in what you've said there about the Monaco defeat, they'll bear in mind at that point, Monaco at home, we had no um, Ferdinand or Shearer or Tino. They played Bob Lee up front that night. So, That's right. You, you know, unfortunate in that respect, but he got off to a bad start, obviously, as I said before. The cup defeat. That, if I'm not mistaken, that the team would move off that day. Um, so a bad start. But as you say, the Coventry game you mentioned, interestingly enough, um, there was rumours in the past of Daglish having a fallout with Peter Pierce at Liverpool. Um, it depends on what you what you believe, but you, you know they had a fallout. Um, but end of the day, Graham Sooners sold him to Everton from Liverpool. But I wonder whether whatever that fallout was carried on to Newcastle because within a couple of weeks, Piazzi was dropped and that Coventry game when we won 4-0, Piazzi scored a penalty and we hammered them 4-0. Piazzi was dropped, you know, out, out of the blue. Um, and then a couple of weeks later, after we drew with Sunderland ones each, we dropped David Ginola. Now, according to Dag Leach's book, um, and I've counter-read it with David Ginola's book, there's a bit of an argument there. Ginola suggests that Daglish dropped him because Alan Shearer was sick of him not crossing the ball when he wanted the ball crossed. And Daglish um, claims that he never had a fallout with Ginola, but he just noticed that he, his attitude is spot. Um, so, you know, you could. Well, I think the point I'm trying to make is he was quickly turning Keegan's entertainers you know, he was ripping it apart straight away. And bear in mind as well, before the end of March, he made his, his first signing before the transfer window closed. Obviously, it was different back. And he signed Des Hamilton from Bradford. I mean, I'd never heard of him. Um, and, you know, was this a sign of ultimately what what, what was to come? So what, what were your thoughts around that then? Do you know what a drop he had to be dropped? Um, you know, ultimately, two, two legends, one over a long period of time and one over a short period of time. But was, was he right? Was he right to just go, OK, this is my team, I'm going to put, put my stamp on it straight away? What's your thoughts? I mean, I think coming in and trying to make those kind of huge changes straight away, it's you know it's not something that I, I like to see. Um, you know, maybe different if the team was like second or third bottom, but we weren't, you know, we were top four. Um, so it didn't really require any dismantling at that particular point it was it was you know you'd like to think it was just a case of well as you were we're going to finish you know we're going to finish in the top three this season maybe um, I mean ultimately you know we'll finish second which was an incredible achievement really but I think it, it, it probably it probably upset the apple car kind of straight away he obviously he ostracised those two players and I think at that point particularly with the Ginola um, dropping now the Beardsley one to a certain extent Beardsley must have been 35 by this point and I, I could kind of understand it in a way, you know what I mean? Especially given how well Asprilia seemed to start playing when Dalglish took over. Um, so I wasn't overly concerned with that one. For me, it was the Ginola one. I thought, oh, that's 
that's really making a point, isn't it? Um, that kind of surprised me. And he ended up, he started playing Robbie Elliott on the left instead, didn't he? But, yeah. but you then look at it and you actually look at the stats between, you know, him dropping Ginola and putting Elliott on the left. And Elliott banged in like four or five goals between then and the end of the season. We went 10 games unbeaten at the end of the season. Um, yeah. Ended up finishing second, six wins, four draws. And as I say, Elliot was pivotal in that. So to a certain extent, at that particular point in time, regardless of how I felt about John Ginola, it was clearly the right decision at that point in time. And, it, and it's how it's how he actually went forward from the summer onwards. That, that's the problem. Those kind of slight changes that he made in 96-97 ultimately proved, proved fruitful. It was in the summer, I think, where the major dismantling occurred where mm-hmm. when the problem started. Okay, Br- brilliantly put. So the end of the season... As you say, we uh, unbeaten the last 10, won five, uh, drew five. We scored 17 goals in them 10. So it wasn't, you know, the, the sort of all-out attack is what we used to under uh, Kevin Keegan. But we did score five v Forest. Uh, we did beat Conkley 4 nil as we mentioned before. Chelsea 3-1, Derby 3-1. We only conceded five goals. So, you know, he's studying it at the back. Not not to say that uh, that is one of the greatest myths as well, isn't it? That Kevin Keegan didn't know how to defend. But we've, we've discussed that, but... But, but yeah, Robbie Elliott, left-hand side, five in the last ten games, phenomenal. Gira, Fernand, Asprilla, all chipping in with goals. And, you know, the perfect day on the 11th of May 1997, uh, we beat Forest 5-0, 4-0 up at half-time, and we find out at, at the end that uh, not only had Sunderland and Middlesbrough been relegated, but uh, the, the, the celebrations continue because we had somehow moved up from uh, fourth to second um, thanks in part our goal difference for Batman 5 0, but also with Arsenal Liverpool feeling to uh, pick up the right result. Um, so, so you could see at that point the appointment was a masterstroke. Well, exactly. You look at and you look at the West Ham game away as well, if you remember, that was the third from last game of the season. We just had that brilliant result away at Arsenal winning 1 0. Um, Gillespie got sent off, but we held him for a 1 0 win. Robbie Elliott goal again uh, with a brilliant chicken celebration. I think it was yeah. a header, wasn't it? That goal, that goal, if I remember right. It was, um, yeah. And you know, you look at you look at Elliott, he got seven goals in 15 games, 15 Dalgish games, seven goals, which is insane. Um, but um, we went in that West Ham game away. And if I remember correctly, we still had a shot at the title at that particular point because, man, you won the league. And if we'd been West Ham in that away game, we could have gone to Old Trafford with a chance of overtaking them if we beat them, I think, or possibly a chance of pulling level on points with them. Um, I don't remember the specifics, but I do know that that West Ham game meant that we still had a chance. We were still with the show of the title, which which was unreal. And um, obviously, we were doing 0-0. I remember, if I remember correctly, Ludek McCloshko pulled off an outrageous save from Les Ferdinand, I think, um, towards towards the end from a Ferdinand header. I think it might was I think it was Ferdinand. Um, you know, I went to the Old Trafford game, the 0-0 draw, and obviously by that point, we couldn't win the league. But... That night we put in a great performance. Ferdinand hit the post. I think we we could have easily won. And as you say, I we, we had that incredible last year of the season where um, I Sunderland got relegated and had to wait didn't, on the pitch because Coventry played. I think about ten minutes. Coventry's kickoff was delayed and it was just it was just a brilliant brilliant day. And yeah. um, at, at that particular point, I think we ended the season. You know, Champions League next season. Dalglish will bring in the players that he wants in the summer. We're gonna have a crack in ninety seven ninety eight. I was genuinely thinking. I mean, my optimism levels were through the roof at this point. Well, per- perfectly put, because we've qualified for the Champions League, um, first time ever at that level. And if you looked at Dagnus' history, as we mentioned before, Liverpool, double winners in these first season, 85 86. 1987, 
no trophies, but they got the League Cup final. 1988, walked the league, absolutely walked it, right through. I don't think they were beaten until about five games to go, then they lost two off the bell, but I'd already won the league. You know, it was good as done. And they lost the FA Cup final to Wimbledon, one of the biggest shocks ever. Following season, obviously, the Hillsborough disaster, you know, but ultimately on the pitch, they, they won the FA Cup and they lost the league in the last minute in a title decider against Arsenal. Mm-hmm. Following season, Retained that, uh, got the championship back from Arsenal, won, won up a few games to go. And then the, um, in 1991, he ended up walking. If you remember rightly, I think we've mentioned this before, after a 4 4 draw at Everton in the That's right. Now, at that point, if I remember correctly, Bagley said he walked because basically the job was become too much for him. And credit to the man, the Hillsborough tragedy was still affecting the club. It was mm-hmm. affecting Support as obviously was affecting the team, you know, affect him because you've got, got to look at it from a point of view. He went to every single funeral, and at the end of the day, he's carrying the weight of this tragedy on his shoulders. And was there ever a point where anyone actually turned up and came back? He should went, Are You okay, mate? You know, so uh, looking back, he said that was the reason there was no, it wasn't a football decision, it was just he, he had just had enough. And then obviously, Kenny Dag, uh, William Soon has come in, another Liverpool legend, and he dismantled that team. And Liverpool took years and years and years, despite winning the odd cup, it took years to get back the level of what, what they were then. You know, you could you could even say almost 30 years. But getting back to Pagliish, um, about eight months later, he took the job at Blackburn. Let's be honest, he was bankrolled at Blackburn, bankrolled as millions. Um, you know, when you think of the calibre of the players. You, you can remember when you were younger, Norman, did you ever play championship manager? I did. Yeah, championship manager. What, what did you do? You, you went after every single team's best player. And at that time, I remember, we were signing the likes of Drew Fox, Norwich, who I'd already had Rob Lee, Rob Peter, Rob Darren Peacock from QPR. Probably not the best in the league, but up there were the best. They were in the public eye, they were in the public and seem to be just getting the cream, weren't they? They were getting Shearer, getting David Batty from Leeds, Tim Flowers, who was the best keeper in the country, you know, or, or one of. Um, you know, then, then you look at the likes of Graham Lasseau, Paul Warhurst, who was phenomenal at Sheffield, right? uh, Sheffield Wednesday. They ended up getting Stuart Ripley from Blackburn, uh, from uh, Middlesbrough, should have They got uh, Chris Sutton from Norwich. All of them players you would have happily took at Newcastle, but he was bankrolled. Um, you could say they nearly threw the league away, but ultimately, he, he won the league at Blackburn, and then all of a sudden, he became a director of football. So I can't recall too much about that, but it's like he had done all the hard work, he had got the plaudits, and then he just took the back seat from it. So at that point, you've got a question, you know, would, did, was Doug Leash, did he have the right sort of mentality to take a pressure cooker of your passing David forward like that? What, what, what's your thoughts on I think you have the uh, mentality. I think the Liverpool situation is obviously incredibly unique because, you know, his connection with that club is, it's, you know, incredibly strong. I mean, you know, he's he, he's part of the fabric of Celtic and he's part of the fabric of Liverpool. There's no two ways about it. And I think, as you say, that, that affected him massively. So, you know, I can understand why, why he left Liverpool despite his, his relationship with the club. Um, and going to Blackburn, I think 
I think the mission that Jack Walker gave him was win the title, and he did it. And I think he probably just didn't see any further challenges. Um, he probably realised that you know the Walker money wasn't infinite, and that Blackburn would struggle to progress from where where they've been. They'd won the league. What else could they do? They weren't they weren't going to have a sustained period of success because as as we know that the, the money wasn't in the Premier League at that particular point. Walker couldn't keep going with it, and you know you look at how Blackburn. Uh, performed the following season with Ray Harford, I think, took over. They were terrible in the Champions League. Um, they had a poor league season. And I think Dalglish just knew he'd taken them to the limit. And I think, I don't think the Newcastle job, I suppose on paper, would have looked too stressful for him, bearing in mind that he lived through this this Hillsborough um, disaster. And, and I think he probably saw a really good long-term project in Newcastle. Um, but... It was one of those where, with hindsight, you, you know, you look back and you think, did he actually just not realise quite how big the job was, you know? Well, I suppose in a sense, he was brought in because, and he must have been tipped off. End of the day, we were becoming a, a PLC. Keegan uh, realised and he wanted out, uh, despite the promise of stay at the end of the season and we'll let you go sort of thing. Keegan went, nah, that's not for me. I want to go. So Dagnish was obviously tipped off that the, he, he wouldn't be bankrolled. And essentially, uh, John Hall wanted money back. Uh, you know, he, he had put money into the club. But essentially, as soon as it was going to be floated as a PLC, he made it clear that he wanted that money back and it was only loans. So, he obviously wasn't prepared to do that. He didn't want to become a, a selling club or just stand still and accept defeat in, in regards to not being able to pick up silverware. Daglish come in, steady the ship, shall we say, but went to the Champions League. But when, when, you, when you think about it, the club forced him, the manager to start cashing the asset. Now, Keegan took the easy option. Called, he called the, uh, the board's bluff back in the previous December. He says, look, we need, I think it was six million the one raised. And he called the bluff and went, okay, I'll sell Les Fernand. And they went, no, you can't sell Les Fernand, it'll be, it'll be hell on. He says, okay, well, I'll sell Lee Clark. Oh, you can't sell Lee Clark. He's a jury, he's a fan fit. And all. You know, so the, Keegan was told to raise money, but calling the bluff, he only managed to essentially sell Darren Hook. Um, and then when Dag, um, when Dag, Dag Dish come in, he ended up uh, selling Paul Kitson to West Ham, who had a fantastic partnership with John Horton. So it was clear, clear then that Keegan wasn't prepared to do what Dish was. Now, that summer, you could say, was the biggest upheaval in our squad. I, I can't recall a, 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 a similar time where a team was literally ripped to shreds. Now, the first one that springs to mind is obviously Les Ferdinand. That, that, that should never have been sold, and it backfired due to issue as injury. But then when you look, we've discussed Robbie Elliott. He was having the form of his life. But he, he cashed him in for something like two and a half million to Bolton Wanderers. Elliott was in absolute tears when he was told. He sold Lee Clark to Sunderland. Granted, Lee Clark had put in a few transfer requests because Clark, he, hot-headed, but he was a good footballer. And I think he felt as if he was unfortunate because he, he was dropped, he was recalled, he played up front, he played as an anchor man, he played in midfield. He would play anywhere because he was a good, versatile footballer. So it was no surprise that he left. It was just a shot that he went to Sunderland. And, you know, David Ginola went to Tottenham as well. So straight away, you've sold four key players. And then 
Well, I'll, I'll let you explain. The players that were coming in, Norman. R- remind the listeners of who was coming through the door. Well, I mean, also, you've got to look at... Um, the, he saw he saw Beardsley as well, didn't he, in the August? So he was another player who went that yeah. summer. I know that he obviously wasn't probably wasn't going to be regular on the side, but he was a huge player to have on the squad. Um, I mean, you look at who he brought in. You, you know, look, he brought in Shea Given. Great signing with Hengtite. Obviously, had a fantastic season on loan at Sunderland. Dalgish had him at Blackburn through the youth system. Got him for a bargain, one and a half million. And then you're looking at players who you're thinking, who the hell are these lot? Tamuri Ketsbaya on a free transfer from the Greek League. You're thinking, really? Yeah. Um, uh, Stuart P.S. not in Forest at the time. I think P.S. must have been 36, 37. Yeah, pretty much. Um, you know, um, August, he brings in uh, John Barnes and Ian Rush on freeze. Mm-hmm. Um, and he only spends money, really, on, as I say, giving one half million. John Dahl-Thomason, who, to be fair, um, you're looking at that and you're thinking, this kid's obviously got talent and, and he was fantastic pre-season, Thomason, as well, up until the point being missed that, that open goal, which affected his confidence. But, um, and then he brought in Alessandro Pistoni, so you're thinking, right, this is a kid for four and a half million. He's an Italian owner, 20 international from Inter Milan. Um, he must have pedigree. Yeah. But ultimately, what Dalglish went and done was he went and bought, I don't know, he bought three players who were barely, you know, um, barely out the academies in given Thomason and Pistoni. And then he brought in a, a load of free transfers of, of old, old players. Um, yeah. And it was just an absolute recipe for disaster. And I mean, you even look, you know, you look before Christmas, even he brings in his own son on a free transfer, you know. Um, and I mean, well, we, we, we saw what transpired. The interesting thing as well is that obviously... All of that going on, you know, we, we, in the first sort of two months of the season, if you look, actually look at the results, we managed to qualify for the Champions League with an incredible result, by the way, we had a Croatia Zagreb. Um, you know, you had the president of Croatia Zagreb saying, if we get to the Champions League, we're going to call a national holiday. So there was huge pressure. Um, and also, because I think due to the Champions League qualifiers, it meant that we were always a couple of games behind people initially, uh, games in hand. You know, first, the first seven games of the season... In the league, we actually won five of them, you know. Um, yeah, this is it. And, and if you look at it as well, we, we, we achieved uh, four clean sheets. So it was it was a continuation of the previous season. But we were scraping results. I don't think we won any any game by more than one goal. Didn't. Uh, you know, and, also, and also two of them, you're looking at goals in the last five minutes. Two one nil wins, Everton and Spurs. Two, two goals in the last five minutes. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, the, the performances weren't... Um, great, and we also got absolutely humped at home off Wimbledon as well, didn't we? We did. We got beat off there. I mean, I remember we went to Leeds, um, and we got hammered four-one, absolute three-nil down at half time. Mm-hmm. And it was ironic because I don't know whether you know this. Can you remember when he did the uh, the advert for BT where he was ringing up the uh, individual the fans? Yeah, he was ringing them up, and it was fair play. It's 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 good marketing, I tell you. But that that was released the night before that game. And the joke was, you best not ring anyone else up now because after that performance, it was absolutely disgusting. Um, you know, and if I remember rightly, Robbie Elliott, um, who I obviously signed for Bolton, uh, he got injured in his debut, and apparently he was on the uh, on the away end with his crutches. So fair play, Robbie Elliott. That's right. Yeah. That's Sorry, what was that? Sorry, man. You're right. But what I was going to say was, you know. By we played Spurs um, early October, seventh league game of the season, won one nil. So that's five wins and seven, but that's only seven games played by the start of October. And you think five wins and seven, right? Now, if every team in the league played seven games, you're probably looking at what second or third top on, on yeah. that on, on that on that amount of points. But that only put us in sixth position. 
because I think at that point, we probably, due to the fact that by that point, we'd already played Croatia, Zagreb, home and away, Barcelona and Dinamo Kiev away, um, we were probably three or four games behind the teams yeah. at the top of the league. Um, yeah. So, you know, that, that was... That was a bit of a hamstring. So, uh, you know, my, my initial thoughts were, I'm, I'm guessing at this point in the season, we're right. He's had to sell a load of players in the summer. He's brought in, you know, he's only spent six million. He's brought in unproven players and all players who aren't going to do anything. And we've got the Champions League distraction as well. So early on in October, despite the kind of performances being low key, on paper, I thought, well, you know what? Actually, he's doing an all right job here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, without doubt, as you say, the fixture, the actual dates of the fixture, the, in the first month, we only played two games in the league. It's 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 bizarre, isn't it? When you when you look at it, and, uh, yeah, I, I definitely think the Champions League qualifiers. It, it's it's not as regi- it wasn't as regimental as what it, what it is now. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's well organised. But you mentioned Zagreb via last minute qualification, and then we get the um, the Barcelona picture um, as the first one, which you know that if if, if that's not going to excite you, nothing will. But I always remember. Bit of a, a choice for me because I was a massive, massive, huge Oasis fan at the time, and uh, I think a lot, a lot of people have got a story about how they had a decision to make. You know, Oasis were playing the Newcastle Arena, and Newcastle United were playing Barcelona. To be honest, it wasn't even a decision to make. I was always going to the game. Surprisingly, I know a lot of diehards who actually went to see Oasis, and I was quite shocked. But ultimately, their choice. Um, There's a story that Liam Gallagher come out. Um, in a Newcastle shirt and said, he's a win 3 0, team has got a hat trick. Um, so fair play, fair play, Liam Gaga. But Barcelona, <laughs> I mean, I was there, me normal, me normal seat at the back of the Gallagher. Um, arguably the loudest team as part I've ever experienced. Tino rightly gets the applause for the hat trick. Um, it's turned him essentially into what, what, what he is now, a cult hero. Keith Gillespie, absolutely phenomenal on right wing. You know, we're, we're battered them for a good hour to 70 minutes and then two late goals, arsenip in time. But one three two Norman. And, you know, what, what an introduction to, you know, Champions League football. And could it have got any better than that? Well, I mean, the first four games in the Champions League, really, I mean, obviously the Croatia-Zagreb game at home, exciting, but not much known about them. And then and then the away game against Croatia-Zagreb, the atmosphere in that stadium was absolutely spectacular. Um, and obviously, you know, you had like Tino's coolness of scoring that penalty and all that pressure. And then the game going to penalties and Ketsbaya, producing a fantastic finish, to be fair, um, with a minute to go. And then the Barcelona game, all the emotion involved in it and everything there. And then... Dinamo Kiev away, and this is when Dinamo Kiev were good, by the way. They had Rebrov and Shevchenko, who were fantastic. And I think they battered Barcelona 4-0, both home and away, um, right. okay. in, in, yeah. in, in that group game. Um, and we got a two-all draw away, and there was 100,000 people in the stadium you know, for that match. 100,000 um, in that Kiev game, which is unbelievable. And, you know, it, it was it was just a... It was just like an absolute fairy tale, wasn't it? You know, we, we've spoken about um, when we first started watching... Newcastle and how bad we were and obviously suffering relegation and then having those terrible seasons in Division 2 and all of a sudden within sort of eight years you know we're playing in the Champions League and it, and it, and it was brilliant and we as I say we had that we had that really kind of solid start of the season and then and you mentioned the Leeds game there and that's for me that was the turning point that was yeah. a real turning point that Leeds game we were brutally dismantled and you look at the results after that and um you know, we didn't win in the league again for quite a while and we were just starting to play really poorly, weren't we? I mean, the fact that 
by this point, John Barnes is an absolute fixture in the side, and Barnes was 32, 33, and I think Dalglish had started playing him up front. And, you know, on, yeah. on reflection, you're thinking, if you're playing a 32, 33-year-old John Barnes up front, then surely, you know, you've got serious issues with your squad. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it was starting to backfire. As we mentioned before, she Shearer got injured. They tried to stop the Ferdinand sale going through, but Ferdinand was true to his word, and he, he didn't want to feel used, which essentially that's what he was going to do. The, 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 the response to that was to sign a 36-year-old Ian Rush, who had scored something like three goals in 40 games for Leeds. Um, and I think that the Barcelona game, as brilliant as it was, as memorable, memorable as it is, it's it's a little bit like the Man United game, the 5-0 game in the previous season. It, it's fantastic. It's good to celebrate them. But ultimately, you know, the Man United thing was probably the peak of Kevin Keegan's time at Newcastle. The Barcelona game, it, it papered over far too many cracks. Mm. And when you, when you actually sit down and look at the fixtures, recall the results, recall the performances, recall them ripping apart a tremendous team. I mean, at this point, Billy Keith Gillespie was up front. You know, his turnover of players was ridiculous. He was up around about 30 players after about half a dozen, after about a dozen games. Mm. You know, that, that's not what we were used to. It was normally a strict 11 to 13 players. And then Keane would throw the odd one in now and again. But they would probably play a sub substitute appearance. Then they would be forgotten about again as soon as the first team. But this, this was And, you know, you only have to then start looking at the results. We, we were starting to not only be able to score goals, um, we were losing 1-0s instead of winning 1-0s. Yeah. I suppose it, there was a period where we lost, I think it was four in six games, 1-0. And, right. yeah, it's, it's tight. It's not getting hammered. But ultimately, we weren't scoring. We never looked like scoring. And by, by Christmas, probably by the turn of the year, you know, yes, we can celebrate that Barcelona victory in a 2-2 draw at uh, Kiev where Beresford got two goals. But by, but by, by um, the final game, we were out. Um, you know, the, the, the 2-0 victory over Kiev um, was basically, it was, it was like a... Dead rubber. It was, it was pointless. It was just a... Okay, we've got to fulfil these fixtures, but then obviously by, by the turn of the year, you know the attention goes to the FA Cup, and again I mentioned people going over the cracks, and this is a debate. People look back fondly on that cup run, and probably apart from the semi-final, I don't look back on it fondly at all. But what's, let's start from the beginning. Everton away, twenty thousand there for a televised televised uh, game by the way, twenty thousand at Goodison Park, which is ridiculously small. But Ian Rush gets the winner. Tino Asprila hobbled off the pitch and we never seen him again. Maybe Daglish's mundane football and negative approach, but I'd lost I'd lost the, the skills of Tino. Um thoughts on that Norman? I mean I mean you know what it's interesting you mentioned that the four um games in the sixth where we didn't where we didn't score um I remember the the Bolton game away, and I think again that was a Monday night televised game. If I'm if yeah. I'm right in thinking, um, and obviously I think Colin Todd would have been their manager then. Um, and Nathan Blake got the goal, and we were awful. We were absolutely awful that night. I don't even think I don't recall. I remember watching it on telly. And I don't think we created a single chance in the whole game. We were shockingly bad, and Bolton were a terrible side. I mean they got relegated that season, didn't they? Um, yeah. But um, 
but yeah, we were, we were atrocious in, in the Everton game away. I mean, Everton at that point were awful as well. I think Howard Kendall might have been managing them at this point. Um, it might have been coming to the Wolves' end of his tenure. I'll have to, I'll have to double check. Um, but we were bad. Now, Russia's goal, I think he kind of tapped it in on the line, didn't he? Um, he did. It, it, and it was just an off game. It was chucking it through Murray, and I remember that. It was on the TV as well. It was terrible. Um, for me, the, the more important game was actually the, the, the game on the, the following Wednesday. You know, we got to the quarterfinals of the League Cup. Yeah. And we had a, you know, we played against Liverpool at home, and it, it went extra time. And obviously, you know, Michael Owen, Robbie Fowler, Steve McManaman, the the, the the players they had were just better. But we were, you know, that was a really good opportunity. Um, and I remember being devastated by that. But the, the cup run itself, mate, um, it was a real, real struggle. I mean, the Stevenage game away where we start, that was just a farce from from the moment the draw was announced, wasn't it? It was, it was terrible, and there was a, there was a, a really kind of sustained and I might be you know what I might be imagining this and it might be a little bit um, paranoid because you know it's my club but the press was so critical of Newcastle and the really the whole nation they were just desperate for a kind of Herifad result weren't they and obviously I think had Newcastle said had Freddie Shepard said we can play the game in St James's Park if you want because you'll get more money for it and exactly. then they kind of kicked off about that didn't they exactly mate what, what, what happened was the, the if you remember rightly, they had to build a temporary stand That's right. um, behind the goal to sort of increase the capacity. Um, Newcastle, because they were in such a horrific run of form, um, they tried to turn that to their advantage and say, it's not safe, but let's play the game at St. James Park. If I'm not mistaken, a paper that will rename nameless for the day I die because of the treatment of the, uh, the Liverpool supporters, mm-hmm. they had a huge campaign interviewing Stephen Ridge players, the manager, supporters, and all sorts for, for, for days, weeks possibly, trying to turn the nation against Newcastle United. And then, if I'm not mistaken, Kenny Dalglish, he sort of, he stood up for the club, stood up for the players, but sometimes you've got to look at it and go, look, have a little bit uh, integrity about yourself, a little bit sort of, I don't know, what's the word? Just, just take it on the chin and don't make it the worst situation what it already is. We had made a mistake by being arrogant and turning around and going, let's play the seniors part of the fitness. That wasn't our decision to make. That wasn't our call to make. Um, and then lo and behold, you know, I think the whole country went up when Steve Nagy realised because she, she had just come back. They just come back against Bolton uh, when I went I went to Valley. But she had started against Steve Nagy. He scored, I think it was in the opening minute or two. And then uh, Stephen has got an equaliser. And I think the whole country celebrated because of the arrogance of Newcastle United, the arrogance of Dagnish. And you could see, again, for me, paranoid moment, was that the beginning of Newcastle United's love affair with the media and with the country? Was that the beginning of the end? Because you could see from then, mate, we've never really been thought of as a nice club or... We've never been thought of as favourably as supporters. We've always seemed to be getting, you know, nitpicked at, grinded down, we're deluded. Uh, oh, any stereotype, you want to throw out your casting immediately. Away. And you could see, I mean, it, it, it possibly started from then, 22 years ago. I, I mean, I never thought of it like that. And, you know, like, I suppose it's a timeline, it, it probably works out. Um, I think the issue that seems to surround Newcastle at the moment is is that we have like you know we expect 
our team to be winning every game still. We we should we still think we're one of the biggest clubs in the country. We've got like you know we have like delusions of grandeur. Um, and you may be right. It might have all started from that particular point onwards. Um, and I think that. Yeah, since then, I mean, the only real positive period I think we've had probably is is under Robson. You know, that, that seemed to be a period where this, um, you think you're a big club um, and, you know, attitude kind of disappeared for a bit. But then under Robson, we did qualify for the Champions League twice. So I kind of, I suppose it shuts people up for a bit, doesn't it? Um, I I mean, it's a good point you make. I think I think Keegan leaving as well. Obviously, if you look at, if you look at Keegan and Dalglish as individuals, their relationship at that point or during that era with the press was totally different, wasn't it? Keegan had this kind of effervescent, um, warm, bubbly personality, whereas Dalglish, his reputation was for being dour, despite the fact that actually his humour is really, it's quite obviously very dry and he could be quite funny. Um, yeah. They were the two totally different, totally different characters. And I think um, the press, they love it when they deal with a manager who kind of, you know, gives them what they want almost. Um, you know, you think of how how the press are with you know the so-called British cabal of managers now you know people like Redknapp, Allardyce because they kind of play up to them and I think Keegan even though he's not in that category as such what he was was he was very approachable and very friendly and very warm and very animated Dalglish was none of that and I think at that point the press um, just didn't necessarily lose interest in us but they, they needed to get like they needed to create a different angle to look at us for and well, we're no longer the entertainers were we were the complete opposite so so let's just start criticising them instead and I mean, maybe that game was the turning point. I never thought of that, and it's a, a really good point you raised. Well, at, at this point, obviously, we uh, we beat Everton 1-0. We get through, we just get through against Stevenage 2-1. But the transfer window was open, and reinforcements were, were definitely needed, you know, because it wasn't working for John Dahl Thomason. Um, you know, he scuffed a couple of goals in. Um, John Barnes, he was... I don't know how old John Barnes was. He must have been in his mid thirties. He was 32, 33, definitely. That, is that what he was? Okay. Uh, but he was slowing down and he got, he got, he got money to spend. He, he, I remember rightly, it was a long, long search for Stryker and he ended up coming back with uh, Andreas Anderson from uh, Ace, was it AC Milan he was at? That's right. Yeah. So we signed uh, Anderson for, I think it was around about three and a half million. Mm-hmm. He signed Gary Speed from Everton and at the time, I remember, Everton just kept saying no, no, and he just kept going back, kept going back with more and more and more, and it ended up getting up to 5.5 million. Now, at the time, that was ludicrously high, mm-hmm. ludicrously high. And what did he do? He brought him in and played him left wing. Gary Speed wasn't a left wing. He might have been in his younger days to fill in the gaps in a, in a midfield at Leeds. But by that point, it was obvious that Gary Speed was a, a you know, a box-to-box midfielder. If not, play him off the front too. And he also signed uh, Andy Griffin, someone oh, forgot. And all three of them made the debut at home, uh, the home debut, sorry, at home to uh, West Ham. And can you remember what the score was? Um, let me think. We lost 1 0 to an absolute <laughs> raking goal from Stan Lazaridis. One of the best goals I've ever seen in the was Park. Uh, uh, but ultimately, you know, it was exciting away. Okay, um, we're going to build on this. And first game, no change, just. Different bodies in the shirts, and we got beat. We got beat. Uh, we got beat one nil. Um, so at this point, obviously, you know, things weren't good. We, we weren't winning games. I think we had won some two and fifteen. Mm-hmm. 
And as I said before, the cup runs seem to be papering over cracks. Um, Tramier Rovers at home. Goalkeeper from South Shields, Steve Simonson. Well thought, well thought uh, you know, people wanted him. And uh, he was in goal and we scraped past them 1-0. Um, the, we're still failing to win games in the league. But then we had, for me, what I think played them twice, once in the league and once in the cup over a short period of time. And uh, what's, your, what's your memories of the, the quarter-final, Barnsley at home? I remember we started we started the game really well. We were all over them. And um, obviously, uh, Ketchbar gets the first speed, bangs in the second with his first goal for the club. I remember speed's been a really good finish. He kind of beat the offside trap, didn't he? And um, if I remember correctly, he just kind of left foot at his bottom corner. Is that, is that right? I might, I might be wrong there, but I'm, I'm, that's the picture that I've got conjured up in my head anyways. And then I remember when um, it got a kind of half time and Barnsley started coming in the game a bit. And when, when they pulled that goal back, they were just all over us. I mean, it was it was half out. It was hanging on for the rest of the match, um, and obviously, you know, we, we get a goal in the last minute to Batty and win three one. But I think it was one of those games where, I mean, Barnsley were probably bottom at the time. Um, they had slightly turned a corner because, if I remember correctly, Jan Agafiotov sort of banging quite a few goals in, um, and you know, it was one of those games where I think ultimately by the end we were just. Absolutely, massively relieved to be into the into the semis. Um, I do remember we had a lot of yellow cards in that game as well, like. Um, but it was a, it, as I say, it was just one of those games where it was just it was just pure relief more than anything else, mate. One thing I do remember about that norm was um, afterwards the um, the cup draw was made, and uh, we we left the Gallagher end excited, and we couldn't desperate get in to avoid Arsenal. What's that? Sorry. Desperate to avoid Arsenal as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, and we, we got the best ever draw because obviously we've got uh, second division uh, Sheffield United. So, you know, it was it was the best draw possible for us. And, you know, the back of your mind straight away, you're thinking, we're going we're gonna to get, gonna get the member here. We've got to beat Sheffield United. So, again, despite, you know, it's awful running the league, um, yet again, more players... Coming in by this point, Nick Ostabzas had been signed. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he was there, and you know you, you've got to look at it from the point of view of you've got a credible draw, a draw at uh, Man United. But I always remember that game against Barnsley, another game against Barnsley, where basically we were sinking that much. It was a six point there. Yeah, Barnsley had a beat us. I think it was uh, it was Easter Monday. If Barnsley had a beat us. Could have, I, I, I'd have to revisit the table again, but I'm sure it would have above us or literally, you know, underneath four horses, you know? Yeah, absolutely. We, we would have really, I, I remember being as nervous as hell that day, and it was, it was, an Easter, it was a Monday, it was definitely an Easter, um, Easter Monday. Um, and I remember I just being incredibly, incredibly nervous, and um, yeah, Fjortoft scored for them because, as I say, he was coming into form at this point, and they, they had been on that little surge. And we were dropping like a stone. I mean, you think, what well, the, the last time we won prior to that was, so this was middle of April. Last time we won was beginning of February, wasn't it? Um, yeah. Aston Villa away. So you're looking at, what, one, two, three, seven, eight, eight, eight league games without a win. Um, and we were really, really in trouble. Um, and obviously the previous game to Barnsley on the Saturday uh, would been absolutely hammered by, you know, an all conquering Arsenal side, obviously. Yeah. Bit of a sign of things to come with the FA Cup final uh, subsequently, obviously. Um and yeah, this this game was. I think at this point as well, I was thinking to myself, you know, you get that that kind of situation where a team makes it to a cup final, 
in the league form just completely disintegrates. Yeah. And yeah. it was one of those where you thought we we can't afford to do this because if 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 the league form disintegrates, we're going to get you know we're going to get to a cup final, but also be relegated. And I remember talking at this point to mates about what would you rather have a cup win in relegation or staying up and losing the cup final. And I think we all kind of agree more or less that we'd rather have won the cup, um, which right. uh, just kind to show you how desperate we are for a trophy. But yeah, right, um, it was a massive game, and obviously. I remember when Shearer's goal went in, we just went, we just went absolutely off it, didn't we? It was a, it was a huge, huge, huge relief. And and as I say, I think, I think after we won that game, it was like, I we should be all right now. Thirty nine points, we should be all right. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, as you say, we had won. Um, I think it was three in the previous nineteen before that fixture. So that shows how bad it had got. The, um, the manual performance. I'll just mention that quickly. Sorry, mate. Is yeah. that the game? Is that the game where um, Solskjaer brought down Robbie Lee, who's going through on goal? It is. It is. Uh, uh, that would have been the winning goal, right? Because it was quite, towards the end, wasn't it? Well, well, yeah. I, I mean, he, he did it because essentially, if, if Man United had been beaten that day, the title was Arsenal's, as far as uh, I remember. I, I could be, I could be wrong. I don't know whether that was the season Arsenal had that unbelievable comeback and um, won loads off the belt and ended up hitting it because Arsenal obviously will come back later, but they won the double, but. But yeah, I mean, bear, bear in mind, Anderson scored at Man United that day. You know, <laughs> as much as he was a huge flop at Newcastle, he scored at uh, Old Trafford, Anfield and Stamford Bridge. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it's uh, just goes to, goes to show how uh, that's can sometimes... Big game player, man, man. big game player. Yeah, well, well, well yeah, <laughs> you say, say Ban was. But yeah, get, getting back to that, I mean, obviously the league, Okay, we were in scoring goals. We got that draw at Man United, brilliant result. And then we ended the season a couple of defeats. An impressive win uh, against Chelsea. I remember that one. We played really well that night. Filming up, Davies has scored Lee and, uh, and Gary Speed. And then on my birthday, I've just looked it up there, mate. It was my 20th birthday. We got beat at Blackburn. Uh, David Batty sent off for the third time that season. Um, and that was it. The season was over. No one really cared. We were mid table, mediocrity. Um, it was boring. It, it, you know, it, it was just nothing like we had been used to over the previous four or five years. Um, but as I say, the, 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 the cup one had paper over the cracks. I remember Champions United game. I remember it well because, amazingly, not many of the regulars that I went to the matches with were four, which I found absolutely bonkers. I just couldn't get my head around it. And I went with a couple of, I wouldn't say randoms, but people I'd just met through work in a social club in South Shields. And we went, we went down, great day. And one of them was a proper punk. Really young, but he was a punk. And half time went for the pint, but he thought he would uh, avoid the law and take his pint in with him. And no sooner had we sat down for the second half, and he was marched out. So <laughs> he obviously missed the winning goal, missed the celebrations. And we went back to a coach, and it was before mobile phones were popular, mate. So we didn't know what to do. And the driver just basically said, Look, all we can do is phone the police station. Uh, they, held, they hadn't held there, but they wouldn't let him go. So him taking that pint in uh, cost him a few hundred quid to get home. <laughs> you know, and he, he missed, you know, a, a joyous, a joyous celebration. But on to the, on to the final moment. <laughs> oh. little, little story, but uh, before before the final, the ticket ticket situation. Now, if I'm not mistaken, the loyalty point system wasn't as it was then. It was basically based on how many of the FA Cup fixtures you attended. For, to, for you to get a ticket now bear in mind at the time we had around about 30,000 season tickets possibly 50,000 more I mean the capacity was only 36 and a half 
But this is where the, pro the problem occurs. The both sets of supporters only got around about 26, 27,000. And obviously the clamor for tickets was going to be ridiculous. Now, I knew in my heart and in my head, I knew I would get a ticket because I'd been a regular away supporter. I really missed a cup game, but I didn't get a ticket. None of us got tickets. So I went up to the ground, asked them to explain it. The reason I didn't get a ticket is because I didn't go to the Steve Mitch home game. And what they said, I, well, I, I turned around and says, well, I went to uh, Everton away. They went, it didn't, it didn't count. I went, okay. I didn't go to Steve Mitch away, but I went to, uh, obviously, Tramia, Barnsley, and the semi-final. But what they based it on was the three home cup ties. If you went to all three home cup ties, you were guaranteed a ticket. Now, bear in mind, all of them three home cup ties were sellouts. They were all capacity crowds. So I'd only been to two out of the three. So because I never went to the Steamage game, I never got a cup final ticket. I was absolutely devastated, mate. Absolutely devastated. And it was my first experience of actually thinking, what am I doing supporting this club? They don't care. They don't care about the supporters. It's wrong. You know, and I, I know there'll be people out there who, who have similar stories, but I also know people out there who should never have got a ticket, got a ticket. And I was told from the club it was based on attending the whole thing. Did, did you, first of all, Norman, did you go? No, I mean, I went to Man U the following year. Um, nice. So I got, to see, I got to see that tragedy unfold. Um, but um, this particular game, same as you, I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't get a ticket. Um, and I hadn't been to the all the FA Cup games. The only one I'd been to was the Barnsley one. Um, the I remember a couple of mates got them. A mate of mine got a ticket, and he sold it for like eight hundred and fifty quid. Right. Um. Because you know what? What age were we at the time? Twenty? Would we be in? How old? Twenty-one. Twenty. Twenty. Twenty-one. Um. And obviously eight hundred quid to you know a lad who's like probably on at that time about one hundred and twenty quid a week is a, is a lot of money. Um. So he, he just kind of. So he sold it, unfortunately. But I'm saying, unfortunately, with hindsight, it wasn't unfortunate, was it? Um, it's interesting. I mean, it's one of those where I mean, you know, you look at you look at the form towards the end of the season, as we've discussed. Sheffield United game, I actually thought we were quite lucky to win that semi-final. Sheffield United had a couple of good chances. Um, yeah. It was a lot more of a struggle than it should have been. Um, the Chelsea game, the three-one win. I'm pretty sure that that game was the game where we actually, you know, mathematically couldn't be relegated. So we were going at the penultimate game of the season with a chance of mathematically still being relegated, which was like incredible given where we'd been by the previous few seasons. Um, yeah. But the Arsenal game, um, the, the memories of it, man, I was on a stag do on that day. Um, and I just remember getting obviously absolutely bladdered. But I remember the performance. Um, look, the first thing that springs to mind is the fact that he played Alessandro Pistoni at right back, which yeah. you're thinking, what is he doing putting him up against them? Um, I think Mark Overmars, it would have been who at the time was probably the best player in Europe at the time. Yeah, yeah. That's no exaggeration. Um, and he tore, him, he tore him apart and obviously Arsenal deservedly took the lead. And then we had the kind of only real chances we had were the De Bissas, um header off the bar. And the Shearer one, that's the one that'll live with me forever. Shearer hit me inside of the post with that shot. That will live with me forever. But you know what, mate? Ultimately, Arsenal pretty much battered where Dalglish just, he got it completely wrong on the day, didn't he? Without, without a doubt. I mean, you know, you know, you mentioned there about um, Alessandro Pistoni being a, a right back. He obviously went for pace, but Steve Watson was my regular right back. 
And granted, he, had, he hadn't long come back into the side, but you, you would always fancy Steve Watson with pace anyway. And he weren't born in midfield. He did. He, 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 well, you can't remember as well, is at the start of the season, he played John Beresford as left side of midfield, and John Beresford scored a, a fair few goals. I think he scored about five or six that season. Now, by, by, that, by then, Beresford had gone. Um, you know, but, but then, you, then you look at it, uh, in fact, no, he hadn't gone, he was, he was still around the club. But when you look at that lineup, he's, play, he's playing left back at right back. You know, you, you know the likes of Darren Peacock? You know, Darren Peacock was probably my best centre half still at the club. Steve Howie was in and out of the side due to the injury. You know, but he, he went with, um, sorry, how he, how he played, but he went with uh, that. That it would only be in the club five minutes, you know, and it's it, a lot of baffling decisions, a lot of baffling decisions. And, and you, fair enough, Arsenal won the double. We, as you rightly say, we're hardly in the game, but we had two good chances. But from, from the kickoff, you look at that side and thought, as you rightly say, what, what is he doing with this team selection? And for me, that defeat is, is poor. And it's sort of, it's just like bursting someone's bubble. And that, for me, was a sign that Kenny Daglish was probably not going to ever get a better chance of winning winning a trophy at Newcastle. Absolutely, mate. Um, it, I think after, after that game, my, um, my thoughts were that, given how poorly we performed in the league all season, um the kind of FA Cup was his was his last throw of the dice. You know, you had to get something out of that in order to to continue in the job. And I thought I thought once the whistle had blown, I thought he'd be sacked within a week. He'd either leave, you know, he would have been kind of pushed out the door, or he'd have just been sacked. Um and obviously that wasn't the case. And we know what happened in the summer. It was a very peculiar way of ultimately getting rid of him. Um, which, you know, with hindsight, as I say, they, they should have they should have done it more or less within a week of the cup final. Um I still can't get my head around it. I mean, Stuart Pearce was up against Ray Parler. Ray Parler at the time was in fantastic form. He, yeah. he would have been in the England squad for the 98 World Cup if he hadn't have offended, you know, Hoddle's mystic assistant manager, Aileen Drury. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the, as I say, Uwe Mars was outstanding. Petit and Vieira were just absolutely incredible. And Nelga was great as well. Um, you know, the, he, he made such terrible errors against a team that you couldn't really give it a single inch to. Um, and Warren Barton on the right of midfield with Alessandro Pistoni behind him is just one of the most ridiculous decisions I've ever seen. Um, so I, my, my thoughts were, it, it's done. It has to be done now, regardless of the fact that he'd had sheer out of action for most of the most of the season. Um, I just thought, now nah, he's got to go. And, and that's not what happened, is it, mate? Well, you know, at it, 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 it the time, I think... I, I was still a bit of a, an England, I wouldn't say a fanatic, but I was a massive England fan, you know? Um, and the World Cup come round, 20 years old, it's it's very rare you can drink and support the same team as Mackham's, because obviously with me being from South Tyneside, I've mixed with them right through my life, school life, I've played football, etc. So that, that was a little bit of escapism in a way, and let's be honest, that England, England side, Following on from the Euro '96, you know that the captivated the uh, the nation, you know, without sounding corny, they did. And going into that World Cup, you know, you really, really fancied your chances. And then ultimately, ended in tragedy that you had the uh, the Beckham issue with uh, Simone getting sent off. You know, Mike Lowe's wonder goal, uh, whatever, whatever become of him, eh? But then you had our mm. our England's our our main strike was England's number nine, 
you had Robert Lee getting on as a sub. Uh, you know, you, you were familiar with Fatty. He was obviously at the club at the time. Uh, Mr. Kelly, of course. But, but I think I think that the World Cup, a, a pre-season, to say, or an after-season tournament, it takes your mind off your own football club. And I think one thing when we're not out, it still ended up being a great World Cup. Um, you know, and, and then you, you look at what was happening at the club again, and you look and you think, oh, we, we've signed Stefan Yivars from the World Cup winners who couldn't hit a ball door. You know, he was atrocious. And how he played, I think he started six out of the seven games or something. You know, and, and you look and you think, well, why haven't we went for Terry Henry? You know, or, or you know, Dugarry or someone like that. When buying the only flop in that actual football side. And is is that a sort of a, a testament to Daglish's time at Newcastle signing footballers? Because yes, we've touched on Shea Gibbon, we've touched on Gary Street. We've touched on uh, the likes of Davizas, who was decent, higher, hit and miss. You know, Andy Griffin, I like Andy Griffin. He would never make me selection of a shortlist from me, best ever right back, but I like him. Stephen Glass, he was decent. He could put a good ball in. But the rest, apart from perhaps John Barnes for a short spell, Stuart Pierce for a, a short spell, the rest were actually, actually atrocious. You know, Gary Brady, Lauren Chauvel, Chauvet, Paul Saran, George Jordi Ordis, you know, there's Hamilton, you know, these players. And then and then you look at the likes of Givarge coming in. Trust Kenny Daglish to sign probably the only flop of the, of the whole French squad. Absolutely. Um, I mean, yeah, I'll still never, never go over the fact that he signed his own son as well and played him, which was just atrocious because Paul Daglish was a terrible player. Um, never, never a Premier League player in a million years. Um, but... <laughs> This is the thing. I mean, Givash, I think the deal had been agreed before the World Cup. And, and you know, you look at his record at Augsburg and he had banged the goals in for Augsburg that season. Hence, he made the French World Cup squad and, and played, I think, he, I think he even started in the final. Um, but, uh, I, you know, it, it turned out that he was a terrible player. And, and you know, we, we saw his career subsequent in Newcastle just go downhill massively. Um, Dimar Hammond was a brilliant signing, by the way. He was a fantastic player. Getting him from Bayern Munich was a real coup. And you look at his career since, and he did really well. And, and obviously, Nobby Solano was a massive signing as well. So the, there were some real diamonds in there amongst the absolute dross that he did sign. I think, yeah. for me, for me, what what kind of got me in? What I, what I started thinking at the end was, you know, you look at Rush, you look at Barnes, you look at him bringing his own son in. And it looked like he was just kind of treating the jobbers like a, like a sort of retirement home or, or a... Somewhere that he could just, you know, engage in this these nepotistic practices, and and it, and it got to the point where I started thinking he doesn't really care about the club anymore. Um, but at the same time, uh, he was allowed to have that summer, and he was allowed to bring in Dietmar Haman, and he was allowed to bring in Nobby Solano, and I think he was unlucky to be sacked after two games. Now, as I say, I believe he should have been sacked within a week of the FA Cup final finishing, based on how poor we've been. The pre uh, during the, the whole of the previous season, but he wasn't, and then he was given money to go and spend, and he and he brought in Haman and Solano, and he wasn't given any time to to allow them to settle. So I don't know what I don't know what the board had seen in those first two games that justified him getting the sack like that. Because I thought actually Chelsea Real was a really good result in a half decent performance. Charlton at home, okay, they just come up. It could have been better, um, but it was two games in, and I thought. Did I think it was the wrong decision to sack him? No. Did I think the timing that the sack them the time the sack them was wrong? Yes, I do. Um, I don't know what your thoughts are on that, though, mate. Well, I, I, rem- I remember the, the first game of the season, Charlton, 
Now, bear in mind, Charlton had come up, they'd beat the Mackens on, uh, on penalties. What a day. And, and we decided to sign Finland's goalkeeper, who, <laughs> Lionel Perez. We, we, in fact, we decided to sign him, for whatever reason, you know. But you've made a good point about the sign. I was going to come to Haman and Solano, because ultimately, you could say Haman, arguably the best German import into the Premier League, possibly. Definitely up there with the best, most successful. And then you then you look at, um, you know, as I said before, given speed, Solano. Solano would be around my best ever Newcastle squad. You wouldn't make mm-hmm. the start 11, but given would and Gary Speed would. So you've got to give him credit because, he, as you rightly say, he signed some absolute diamonds. But overall, now bearing in mind, going back to what we discussed at the start, Daglish knew the limitations of a PLC, but he still spent more money than what he brought in because he made that many mistakes and balls up that many decisions with his signings. As I said before, the turnover of players was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. So he ended up spending more money to cover his back because he had made that many mistakes. So, you know, Saturn after two games was a shock because we did get a decent result with Chelsea who were just starting to come through. Well, put it this way, Chelsea were winning. Chelsea were winning, but we weren't. And, and they were, you know, they were, they were on the start of the, the glory, should we say. But you look at this, the, the starting lineup in his last game, you know, I'll, I'll read it out to you, Norman. Shea given in goal, Steve Watson, Pistoni, Davizaz, Chauvet, Pierce. So there's a back five. He's got Haman, Robert Lee, Gary Spears, Anderson, and Shearer. Just didn't even bother with wingers at this point, right? It's, it's gone, hasn't it? He's literally ripped an all-out attacking side into a, a back five. You know, Watson and Pistoni, yeah, they could bomb on a bit, but I can't recall our, our tactics being that way. No. Um, you know, and then you look at the bench in that first game. John Barnes, who ended up coming on. In fact, bear in mind, Charlton got a uh, player sent off. Um, got a player sent off. I'm sure there was an elbow incident it's, uh, on a, from a corner. So we played Charlton, I think I could be guessing, for at least half an hour with 10 men. We failed to beat the promoted side. Bad start, flat atmosphere anyway. And if I'm not mistaken, they were booed off. The Chelsea game, yep, great result. Shocked that he was sacked at that point. But you, you, you don't know, do you? You don't know whether the ball was already in motion behind the scenes. Uh, but just going back to the bench, this is the caliber of players he had on the bench that day. Perez, Philip Albert, uh, Warren Barton, Fitzbaya and John Barnes. So you, you look at that, he's put his stamp on that side, but still... Got a few of Keegan's players in that in that in that uh, squad of players, and for us to go from that under Keegan to what we're essentially seeing against Charlton and the cup final and the horrific form in the previous season, it I don't think he had a chance to stay in it. No, no, he, no, he, did, he didn't. Don't get me wrong, but as I say, I think for me it was just allowing him to have a summer. To bring in his own players, because there were his own players as well. It wasn't like the board was going above his head and signing those players. They were they were Dalglish's choices. Um and to allow to have a full pre-season with them. I mean, obviously they have you know, the World Cup aside, um, to allow him to play pre-season friendlies. And then after two games in which we didn't lose any of those games, and you, you look at the Charlton game, you think, aye, all right, no nil at home to Charlton, not particularly great result given they've just come up, but precisely because they were just a freshly promoted team, a lot of freshly promoted teams. Do start the season pretty well, um, yeah. and then before they start sinking, 
in the Chelsea away game, as you say, you know they they were on the on the sort of cusp of of winning trophies again, weren't they? And it's it wasn't it wasn't necessarily a, a terrible start. So I just thought to myself the timing's just a bit weird. But I think for for whatever reason you've got to look at it and you think, well, had Shepard and Hall thought about binning him after the FA Cup final and then just kind of bottled it for whatever reason and thought, oh, maybe we don't want to do this because the contractual payout and everything like that, blah, blah, blah. Um, and they've, they've kind of just, they've kind of missed pulling the trigger and then they've realised actually after the, not necessarily the results against Charlton and Chelsea, but the performances themselves, they've probably thought, now we can't do this, we know where it's going. And may, maybe there's also, you know, you don't know what kind of feedback those running the club were getting from the players as well. You don't know what the atmosphere was like in in, in the club itself. It might have been a really dour and negative atmosphere. Dalglish might have been showing signs that he wasn't committed. There's all sorts of reasons could have come into this. Um, but ultimately, you know, I look back on the Dalglish here and I think, yes, you you're re- it's really good what you say about, you know, speed, Solano, um, given all being, I mean, incredibly important players under Bobby Robson, getting them into the Champions League and making, you know, our sort of, best 15 in our lifetime support the club um, but then you have to look at the flip side you think well he brought those players in like as I say Barnes, Rush Ian Rush he brought in and Ian Rush's next move after us was that summer he went to Wrexham on a free transfer you know that's the kind of level that Rush was operating at um, so all in all regardless of as ridiculous as it might sound regardless of the good signings that he made ultimately that proved to be good regardless of um, the fact that I thought it was a very bizarre time to sack them when they did. I still think the Dalgish era was, you know, ultimately a, a failure. Yeah, yeah. I think I think you've, you've summarised it well, Norman. Um, you know, we will give him credit for obviously giving Aaron Hughes his debut, uh, of course, and, and bringing him in. He was a fantastic servant. As we mentioned, the signings, positive ones, a lot of a lot of dross in there. For me, the Barcelona victory and the cup run papered over cracks. You've got to give them credit for getting us into the Champions League. But for me, it's, it's far outweighed by the way he ripped apart Kevin Keegan's hard work. And it sounds corny, but the dream was over, mate. Absolutely. And it, the knock-on effect, obviously, with Hullet and Robson took a couple of years to get the club going again. You know, as, as we st- at the start of the show, we mentioned Bobby Robson. If only we managed to entice him to the club in January 1997, mate. You never know. Uh, you, you don't, and I think I think as well what the Dalglish era. It, it's funny because if you look at that, like, you know, if somebody in fifty years' time, like a kid, like nine or ten years old, looks through, um, you know, looks through a kind of a records book and sees Kenny Dalglish at Newcastle, oh, fifty years ago, oh, he finished the finished second, and he got them to an FA Cup final in his two seasons. Oh, that looks like it was an alright period. People would look, couldn't look, excuse you, look at it like it was actually an alright period. Um, as I say, second in the league in a cup final, but it wasn't. We we know the reality was absolutely terrible. The football was awful. Um, and then you think of Hullet coming in subsequently, and what it does is it just highlights the the rebuilding job that Robson had to do and how well he actually did it in the short space of time that ultimately he had. So it's it highlights for me just the the sheer miracle of how far Keegan had taken us and how far Robson had to drag us to get us back to that point. I think uh, yeah, the, the Dalglish and Hullet eras just highlight how good. Kevin Keegan and Bobby Robson were as managers. Well, that, that, that's, again, fantastic summary because it takes us to the final point. You mentioned there, um, you know, people look at the history and think, well, what he's mourning for, he got you to the cup final in the Champions League. Um, I've had this discussion on, on numerous occasions, you know, on Twitter. I'm, I'm active on Twitter, but I try not to 
respond to people who don't look at the bigger picture because I just think it's lazy. It's, it's lack of research. Um, and, and one is, uh, as I mentioned before, Robbie Elliott, um, not questioning his research because he was part of the club. He was part of the, the fantastic transformation in the Kevin Keegan. He played his part, goes out saying. But there was, a, there was a discussion on it and he was tagged in it, you would say, on, on Twitter. And he said, I think Doug Lewis gets a lot of unnecessary stick. He was a fantastic man manager. But then I think, well, look, as supporters, we don't see man management. We see performances on the pitch. We've we seen you get sold within six within weeks if you having six months of the best form of your life. You know, we've, we've seen him rip the team apart. We've seen him sell, drop and then sell Ginola, Ferdinand, you know, and then by the players that we've mentioned, that, that have, yes, some success, repeating myself here, yeah, but the majority were absolute flops and not worthy if, if the outlay and also is seen as replacements for, for Keegan's, Keegan's side. So I, th- I think the consensus between the pair of us is Daglish, <laughs> right idea in theory, but we've definitely got the wrong man. Absolutely. Exactly. On that note, Norman, we will leave it there. We've done a good hour, mate. We, we can't half talk. But uh, to the listeners, thanks again for sticking with us. Uh, we're going to try and do these as many, many of these uh, nostalgia podcasts as we can. Um, throw some feedback at us. We really appreciate it. We've had some fantastic feedback from the Kevin Keegan one. It's, it's really appreciated. It makes us you know, pleased that we're, you know, it's worthwhile to do this. So any subjects, any topics you want us to get our teeth into, feel free to drop us a line. But Norman, for now, mate, always a pleasure. You look after yourself and we'll catch up shortly. Cheers, now. Take care, Norman. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.